Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year! There you go. It's hard to believe it's 2020. That just blows my... Anybody remember what happened 20 years ago? What happened, Dave? My daughter was born. Okay. Does does the word Y2K sound familiar? So 20 years ago, we thought the world was going to end. 20 years ago, it just seemed like the world was going to end. There was all this fear. I remember I was at a church, and the pastor was saying, like, you better stock up food. You better do this. Everything's going to fall apart. The computers are going to stop. Power's going to go out. The grid's going to go down. So I was one of those guys who bought a generator, right? So I, bought, I ordered this generator, but there was a huge backlog of generators. So I had to order like six months out. I ordered it thinking the world's going to come to an end. I'm in a rural community, I'm gonna be prepared. I ordered a generator. And about, I don't know, two months, six weeks ahead of time, I thought, you know, this is not gonna be what they said it's gonna be, it's not gonna be that bad. So I called to cancel my generator. They say, sorry dude, we already shipped it. You know, it's on its way. So I got this generator and I never needed it for Y2K, but I've used it a lot since then. So it's good that I got it, but it was just some of those crazy things. When I look back, 2020, 20 years past Y2K, So here's the question I have for you. When you look back one year, one year ago today, 1999, or 2019, (laughs) my math isn't very good, 2019, (laughs) there you go. Math was never my strong suit. 2019, if you think over this past year, what's one word you could describe this past year? One word. I heard change. I heard someone say challenging. That's a good one. What else? Trying. Okay, that's a good one. I'm, any, anybody have like a good year? <laughs> it gets pretty tough, doesn't it? Sometimes life just throws ass and there's all kinds of tr- crazy stuff. I was going to say, someone might say here, married. You know, that happened last year, right? Yeah, congratulations. So a lot of good things happen, a lot of bad things happen, but it's crazy. So I, but instead of looking back and saying, how are we going to describe this past year in just one word? Tonight, we're, we're doing this series called My One Word. And this is the third year in a row that we've done it, either the last Saturday of the month or of the year or the first Saturday of the year. And the idea is to challenge us not to make New Year's resolutions. Anybody here ever make New Year's resolutions? I know I have, right? They say that the that about 75% of the people in America make a resolution. Of those 75% that make the resolution, 75% of those fail them or break them within the first month. So by the end of January, there's, there's like 18.5% of people who actually see any real change from a resolution. So we don't want to challenge you about making a New Year's resolution. We don't want to challenge you about thinking about this concept of my one word. And the idea here is that we're going to try to look and see, is, is there a word that God can give us that will help us to set a focus on this coming year 
and how this year could be lived out for the Lord and how he might want to work in our hearts. So tonight we're going to look forward to this thing called My One Word. There's a quote I have up here on the screen that you want you to see. I'm just going to read it from here because it's easier for me to read that than read from my notes on the page. It says, why do we make resolutions? Circle that word or think of that word resolutions, which are born from our regrets that rely on our own strength, making us responsible for the renewing of our own righteousness. That's from Mike Ashcraft. He's actually the guy who wrote this book, My One Word. That's where we get the concept from. That's where we sort of pull this from. He wrote that book, and he made that statement near the beginning of his book. And I thought it was interesting. I sort of broke that down a little bit. You look at the idea of resolution. What is a resolution? It's really just sort of a promise that we make to ourselves, right? That we're going to change. It's going to be different this year. As a Browns fan, I'm very used to saying, wait till next year. (laughs) And I thought 19 was going to be the year I waited for, but that wasn't to happen, right? It was pretty sad. But this is different than a Browns fan saying, wait till next year, because that may never, ever happen, right? Never. The way it's looking right now, it's never going to happen. But a resolution is a promise we make to ourselves that says, I'm going to make a change. And it's born out of regrets. That really means it's born out of my failures. I look back over the past year, and I said, Steve, man, you screwed that up. That's where you failed. That's where you, you, you didn't succeed. This is where you struggled. And when you want... It was a tough year. So we look at that and we say, it's a resolution, it's a promise to make ourselves, born out of regrets, and it requires our own strength to accomplish it. It's like, my resolution's only as good as I can make it happen. And let me let you in a little secret, that's not very good, okay? That's tough. Because if I wouldn't have failed the year before, right, I wouldn't be making that new resolution this year. So the chances are of me succeeding in that when I've already failed is pretty tough. So a resolution is, is something that um, is a promise to ourselves, born of regret from our own strength, and it makes us responsible for our own behavior. And really, it's, it's really nothing more than behavior modification. What we're going to be looking at with this concept of my one word is not behavior modification. We're going to be talking about this concept of life transformation and there's a big difference with that behavior modification says i just try to make it look good on the outside and i try to do what i have to do here to to sort of accomplish this goal transformation changes me from the inside out and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight so here's the deal as we go to do this it's a pretty simple concept but that doesn't mean that it's easy it's actually sort of tough so we're going to be challenged to let the Lord change your life tonight with just one word. We want to challenge you to choose one word for one area of your character. Now, we're not talking about behavior, character. So one word from one area of your character from God's word that we want God to, to work in us and through us this year. So that's the concept. Now, I've actually had the opportunity to speak on this. This is my third year to speak on this topic. And sometimes you think, okay, what can I say that I didn't say last year? But what happens is, even though the topic's the same, guess who's different? Me, right? And as I, as I work through this and I process this year, I actually, I'm going to sort of share a little bit up front, I actually was a little disappointed in myself and the way that I approached this the last couple of years. 
And I'm going to share a little bit of that tonight because I want us to think of this in an entirely different way than maybe the books written and, and the concept they give there. It's still a great concept, but I want us to look at it in a little bit different light, and we'll jump on that in a little bit. But again, it's a simple concept, but it's a lot harder than what it sounds like because the common denominator in every one of that is me and you, right? We throw us into the equation, and it screws everything up. It makes everything unconstant. It makes everything in flux. So we're thrown into the equation. It makes it tougher. So there's a couple of principles I want to jump into just by way of review, if you've heard this before, or if not, if this is your first time, I want you to make sure you get this. This idea that uh, there's like three different principles here. It requires focus. It means that this one word that we're going to discover, I'm not going to choose the word, not going to use the word choose. I'm going to use the word discover. It requires focus. It requires focus. What that means, it keeps me from being distracted. Now, if you're like me, I'm easily distracted. I want to know if any of you guys do what I do. My grandkids, some of my kids, they, they see me do this. So I'm supposed to be accomplishing something, right? And I happen to walk through the living room, walking through the living room, that's how I walk, through the living room, right? So I'm walking through the living room, and the TV's on. And I start like, oh, yeah, that's right. So I can't actually sit down to watch a TV, because that would mean I'm off track, right? I've gotten distracted. So rather than sit down, guess what I do? I just stand there. I just stand there looking because I'm really sort of on my way, right? I'm going to get to my task, but I've gotten distracted. So I sort of sit there and I, sometimes 15, 20 minutes later, I'm still there. It's like, yeah, I got distracted, right? Well, that's what happens when we try to see transformation and life change with us. We get so easily distracted. There's so many things to distract me. It's not just a TV. Now we have these things, phones, and you know, there are smartphones, and we can text, and we can look at videos, and we can play video games, and all the different crazy things that are going on out there. So many things we have to do, and there's work, and there's ministry, and there's all kinds of things. It's so easy to get distracted. My one word's designed to help us stay on track. It also becomes a lens. It becomes a lens to which I can see my circumstance, not a list I got to keep track of. When I thought about this idea of a lens, I thought about this. This is a new tool I've been using a lot this year. These are binoculars. So when I take a look at these, I can say, whoa, Dave, you actually look way better, dude. Look at that. Wow, it just magnifies all that handsomeness you got there. Look at that. I can see the booth back there, but what happens is I take these and look at them and it just narrows this whole view down to just Dave's good-looking face right there when I took a look at that. You know, it's like, whoa. That's what my one word does. It takes it almost like uh, these pair of binoculars and pulls the focus in so I can look and focus on that one thing. And then finally, not only does it um, require focus and a lens, it leads to transformation. We talked about this a lot last year, so I'm not going to go into this concept real deeply, other than to say that transformation is not change. Transformation means it creates something entirely new. When we hear the word transformation, we know that in the original language, it comes to the word metamorphosis. We hear metamorphosis, we think about butterfly, it goes in its cocoon, comes out as a butterfly. We've talked a little bit about that in the past. 
But the idea is it creates something brand new, something entirely different that comes out of that cocoon. That's life transformation. The scripture uses that word to talk about you and to talk about me in the light of that. Look at the scriptures that come up here on the screen in 2 Corinthians. This, it says this, and we all with unveiled faces, not like Moses who had to cover his face when he saw God in the Old Testament, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, and there's a word, transformed, metamorphosis. So it's saying here that you and I, as we encounter and deal with the God in heaven, that it is this process that we are being transformed, we're being metamorphosed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the idea is God's Spirit, as believers, is in us. And it begins this idea of transformation. So two things that brings to mind we can ask. Hey, if I have a relationship with Jesus, then my life should be transforming. Because that verse says, I'm in the process of being transformed as a believer in Jesus. And if it's not, I have to ask myself, do I really know Jesus? Or am I allowing his spirit to do his work in me so that I can have this transformation to be somebody, not just a better version of me, because that's really not that great, but to be a new me, a new person in Christ. And it makes all the difference. So there's this concept of transformation. This verse actually used a word, and it's sort of in the context of the passage it came from, it looked back to a very specific point. And that specific point happened when Jesus himself was transfigured, metamorphosed, right in front of a few disciples. So it sets up that uh, here in Matthew 17, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up to a high place in the mountains by themselves. So he goes up to this high place, and when he's there, it says, there he was transfigured, metamorphosed before them. And this is what happened when that did. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. And then just then there appeared with him Moses and Elijah, and they were talking. In this passage, it doesn't tell us much of what they were saying, but if you look in some of the other Gospels, it says they were actually talking about when Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and to be crucified to die for the sins of the world. They were talking about this whole thing, and he appeared before them. So that happened, and then the disciples were there. So what do you think the disciples did? Instead of saying like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. We saw this Jesus sort of glowed from the inside out. He sort of, but instead, you know what they, they said? Peter looks at him and says, you know what, Jesus? It's a really good thing that we are here with you. And you're like, are you kidding me? These guys just saw Jesus, and they saw a glimpse of his eternal glory that began to shine, not reflect off of him, but to emanate from him, his eternal essence. And it glowed, and all they could say was, boy, Jesus, it's a really good thing we were here today. Because now we can go like establish like three different tabernacles or three different shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And aren't you glad we came? We, we thought that up all by ourselves. 
And right about the time this huge cloud invoked them and God's voice boomed from that, within that cloud and said, whoa, and these guys got scared. They fell on their face. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I want you to catch that. Listen to him. And when Jesus, the cloud left, Jesus got him up, everybody was gone. But I thought it was so unique and honestly so telling that in the process of this whole thing, the disciples had an opportunity to see something that nobody else, as far as we're aware of, in the entire universe had ever seen. And the first thing they thought of was, good thing I was here, Jesus. And I thought, boy, I'm not so far off from them. Here's God in all of his glory, and somehow I bring it all back to me. I think, how'd they miss that? There's a quote I want to read you. It actually comes from Warren Wiersbe, and he wrote this quote about, quote about this thing of metamorphosis. It should pop up on the screen here. It says this, metamorphosis is a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Our Lord's glory was not reflected, but it radiated from him. There was a change on the outside that came from within as he allowed his essential glory to shine forth. So Jesus demonstrated metamorphosis, transformation right in front of them. It was something from the inside that they got a glimpse to the glory of God. And so when we looked at that, at that prior passage, it says, we are all being transformed on a daily basis. It looked back to this and said, when we encounter the living God, we should begin to transform. We should begin to metamorphose. God's glory should begin to be emanating from within us and out. We should reflect that as his Holy Spirit does its work. It's a pretty sobering and challenging thought all at the same time. Somehow the disciples, when they responded, they made it all about themselves. God corrected them and said, no, 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 no. The focus isn't you. The focus is on Jesus. They were searching for the right words, but instead of listening for a word that came from Jesus. So this is where I sort of got derailed and sidetracked this year. I thought, how true is that of me? So many times, instead of focusing on what God wants, what he does, I focus on what I want. I dress it up, it's all nice and pretty, and I, 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 I honestly, a lot of times I think I'm doing the right thing here. I'm saying the right thing, and I'm doing it for the right reasons, but sometimes you check into it, I'm like the disciples, and I see this amazing display of God's glory, and all I can say is, boy, God, aren't you glad I'm here? Aren't you glad I showed up? Because I'm going to take care of this for you. And it's like, we, we just don't get it. So here's where I went. There's a story in 1 Samuel of a little guy named Samuel. And uh, just leave that verse up there, because I'll get to that in a moment. Just leave it there. So in Samuel, what happened is his mother was barren, had no children. And she prayed and prayed and prayed for children, and she just couldn't have any children. And then one day she was at the temple. They go up every year. She was praying, crying, weeping, and she ran to Eli, the, the priest. And uh, Eli thought she was drunk because she was in tears and babbling and 
thought she was drunk. said, you shouldn't be drunk here, lady. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm just in, in desperate pain, in desperate agony, seeking for a child. And so God blessed her, and the next year she had a baby. And that baby's boy was Samuel. And she said, God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate this child to your service. And so every year she would go up and introduce the child to Samuel. When the child got old enough, she took Samuel, um, to Eli rather, took Samuel to the temple, dropped him off and said, okay, Samuel's going to serve. And so Samuel served Eli in the temple. And one particular time, Eli was there and it was end of the day, Samuel had gone to bed, Eli had gone to bed. Samuel was laying in bed and he heard, Samuel, Samuel. So he got up, he ran to Eli, said, hey, what's up? Well, how can I help you? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Anybody ever do that with their kids? Yeah, go back to bed. You're bothering me, kid. Get out of here. So he did. Again, he thought he heard the word, Samuel, Samuel. So he went back to bed. He got up and he, he come running out. Eli, what do you need? I didn't call you, man. Go back to bed. You're bugging me. Third time, he hears the words, Samuel, Samuel. Or, yeah, that's right. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and he runs back to Eli. What do you want? Eli says, wait a minute. I'm not calling you. Somebody is calling you. Maybe that's God. You are a miracle child. We are in the temple. You're serving. Maybe it's God. So next time, if you hear that voice, just cry out and say, speak, Lord. Your servant hears. So Samuel went back. He went down to bed. He heard it again, Samuel, Samuel. And this time, instead of running to Eli, he gets up and he says, speak, Lord. Your servant hears. And then God spoke to him and gave him a message. Many years ago, I was just a kid, eight or nine years old. And I remember we had sort of a, a house like in, in the suburbs there. There was a ditch in the front of the house. Guess what eight-year-old boys do when there's a ditch in front of your house that has water and after it rains? What do we do? We go play in the mud, right? You know, now we had this little... This little bridge that went across it to the mailbox. So like I can make like little boats and float them down and watch them go through and play with little army men and put on there and having fun. So I was out there as an eight or nine year old kid playing. I was out there playing. I heard my mom call me. So I run to the house. Hey mom, what do you want? She said, I didn't call you. Oh, so I went back out and played. I swear I heard it again. Steve, Steve. So I run back in the house. Mom, what do you want? I didn't call you. That happened a couple times, and finally, my mom literally, she must have heard this story. She literally told me, Steve, I'm not calling you. If you hear that again, I want you to stop and just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So I was out there playing, and I'm just telling you, I thought I heard my name again. And I stopped, and I looked to the sky, and I said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Guess what happened next? absolutely nothing <laughs> nothing happened but do you know what happened my mom taught me something valuable she taught me this idea that listen to the voice of God because he may want to speak to you and if God wanted to speak to me he certainly could right and it, it comes back to that so I think about this whole thing of Samuel and Eli and and, and here's what I was challenged with this year last year well actually in 2018 not 98, in 2018. When I spoke in this, I said my one word for the year was passion. Psalms 47.3, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And 
my, my thought was this. Lord, I want to live on path. I want to live on mission with you. I want to, I want to live into the passion that I feel you've laid in my heart. And I want to do this. And my idea was I was still going back and forth trying to sell business and things were crazy. And my, my word was passion. And I looked at that, and when I got done with that, this time I said, you know what? That wasn't about Jesus. That was really about me. When I got down to the base of my heart attitude and my perspective, what I was really saying this was, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Instead of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So last year, when we did it again, I had worked through it, and I said, you know what? I, as I worked through this, I feel like I didn't quite get that right the first year. I need to do it again. And so I chose passion again for 2019. And this idea was, Lord, I want to be passionate about you. I want to grow into passionate, affectionate love for you. That's what I want. And Lord, that's what I see you do in my life. And so I began to pray about that and begin to do that. That was my word for last year. And when I thought about it, I said, once again, when I got down to the base attitude of my heart and my perspective, I was really saying, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Because when it comes down to it, wasn't I just telling God what I wanted him to do in my life? Wasn't I being like everybody else? I wasn't being like Samuel, who said, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I was sort of like saying, this sounds really good. God, this sounds like a good Christian, a good, solid thing to do. I want you to work this in my life. And I'm trying to tell the God of the universe what I want him to do in my life. Doesn't that sound backwards? I mean, it's almost like I was a disciple who just saw the glory of God and said, gee, Lord, it's a good thing I was here because I can build you a tabernacle. Got it all wrong, totally missed it. So I got convicted, and I felt that this year, instead of trying to look through and choose a word that I want God to work in my life this year, maybe I should say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Maybe... I need to position and my heart in such a way that I can hear the voice of God. God speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through his Holy Spirit. I never heard an, you know, an audible voice from God like I thought I did that one day. But that's how God speaks to us. And so this year, I'm going to challenge you. Instead of looking for a word that says, how do you want God to work in your life this year? It's more difficult. takes more time takes more of an effort, and honestly, takes more honesty to sit down and say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me this year? What do you want me to work on? Not what I would like to see you do. What do you want to see me allow you to do in my life this year? Here's a quote. This year, as we search for our one word, let's challenge ourselves to posture our hearts and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, not listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. That's a big challenge. In your program, there's a little yellowish sort of sheet of paper. And what it is, it's just a little worksheet. And I've structured it in such a way that if you want to take this one word challenge, that you can take that. Go through those questions on there. Try to position your heart in such a way, not that I'm going to find a word that I want God to do in my life this year, 
but I'm going to try to get quiet. I'm going to try to get in a place where I can just get the distractions out of my way and I can let God begin to work and God begin to reveal to me. And then God speaks a word into my life and says, that's what I need to do. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. So as I process this and work for this, just to give you an idea, probably no surprise, my word for this year is listen. I never thought in a million years I'd, I'd choose that word, but my word for this year is listen. And the verse is 1 Samuel 13, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so when I think about my one word for this year, I want that word to be a posturing of my heart, a quieting of my soul, a removing of some of those distractions so I can get quiet, get slow enough, get humble enough, or I actually allow God to speak to me and not be so arrogant to try to tell God what he needs to do in my life this year. So that's where my one word took me this year. And I'm going to challenge you to take that journey with me. That's what those sheets of paper are. Take that journey. Take it out. Go through it. For the next month, we're going to leave them out on the table out there for if you lose it, forget it, or someone didn't get a chance to get one. Use that. But the idea is to humble ourselves, posture ourselves, so that we can in fact say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Father God, as we embark on 2020, this incredible, unknown, vast space of time which lies before us. Lord, we don't want to waste that. We don't want that to be frittered away. We don't want it to be used in the wrong direction. And God, as I come before you, just me, acknowledge really my pride, my arrogance, my self-deception as I felt I was being such a great Christian by choosing some awesome words and realizing that all along I was just like those disciples who saw your glory and brought all back to themselves. God, I don't want to see your glory and make it about me. I want to be able to see your glory and give it back to you. Father, I pray that you'll prepare my heart and the hearts of all who are here tonight that as we think about this concept of my one word, that this year, instead of me trying to say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking, God, I pray that this year, the attitude of my heart will be, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God, may I listen and may I obey the words you reveal to me so that I can allow you to bring transformation into my life this year. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.